You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning, 10 o'clock, and let's redeem our time wisely. If you would turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 15, it's where we've been for the last few weeks and will be for the weeks to come. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in the New Testament. Let's go there together. John 15. 15th chapter is nestled right between the 14th and the 16th. So you should find it just fine this morning. John 15, let's start in verse 5. We're going to read just verse 5 through verse 11 today and see what God says to us. That is why we're here, I, I assume, I hope, is why you've gathered today. Not to hear what, what, a, what a person has to say, a speaker has to say, but God, what do you say to us today? John 15, beginning verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine. And you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full don't close your bibles verse 11 should capture our attention these things i have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full jesus has given these words to us that we might have full joy Full is the word in Greek, pleireo, and pleireo means a net that is crammed full with fish. It is a picture of of a glass or, or a cup that the water is to the very, very top, so much so that a little might even spill out. This is the type of full joy that Christ wants to give to us. But, but I, I saw something this week that I don't think I've ever seen before. It's not your joy being maximized. It's the exuberant joy of Christ that would be in you. This is not a sermon about how you can be happier and somehow raise the level of your happiness. This is a message that Christ has given us, how he wants his joy to be in us. This is why it should capture your attention, because we spend a lot of time trying to find joy. We exert a lot of effort trying to find and maintain happiness. But here, Jesus, the kind king, tells us how we can have joy and keep joy and maintain joy. So Jesus stands in our midst even this morning and says, I have an offer for you. Would you like my full joy to be in you? An overflowing, lasting, permanent joy. How? The key is verses 5 through 10. Let me give you five things today that we see in this passage 
on how we can understand and grow in and abide in this, this joy that Christ is offering us. And let me say it again. It's not your joy being maximized. It's about the joy of Christ in you. Let me give you a, a reminder of a working definition of the word abiding because the word abide is used 10 times in this chapter. And so the word abiding, we'll just say it this way. It's drawing strength and life from Jesus in order to bear fruit. So it's not just drawing life and strength from the true vine, Jesus. But we're drawing life from Christ. We're drawing strength from Christ so that we might bear fruit in a very faithless, unfruitful world. We live in a very spiritually barren culture. And God has given us the opportunity to abide in Christ and therefore bear fruit for his name. Abiding is drawing life from Christ, drawing strength from Jesus, so that we might be fruit bearers in Waco and the world. Five things then that we see in this passage. Number one, how do we live in that kind of lasting joy? One, and you could preach this, abide in Christ. Verse five is the foundational verse of this entire chapter. Verse five is, is the pivotal verse of everything that's happening in John 15. And in John 15, five, Jesus identifies himself. I am the vine. Then he identifies you. You are the branches. And so whoever abides in me and I in him, whoever continues in me and I continue in him, whoever is drawing strength from me, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verses one through 17, which are the verses we're challenging you to memorize these coming weeks, John 15, 1 through 17. Verses 1 through 17 is all about growth. And we live in a culture that loves growth. We live in a society that loves personal growth. That's why a few weeks ago, you made a New Year's resolution, of which we've broken most of them already in just the past few days, because we want ourselves to be better. We live in a self-help culture, that the self-help book industry in our nation alone is $10 billion a year. $10 billion a year. Surveys say the number one person that will buy a self-help book bought another self-help book in the last 12 months, which is kind of telling when you think about it. We're just spending all this money trying to improve, trying to grow, trying to increase our, ourselves. And, and what Jesus is talking about here is not self-help. It's not self-generating results that he is speaking of here. He's talking about a growth through connection with him. He's talking about spiritual growth in our lives, a growth of joy specifically today in our lives by being connected to him. Thus, Jesus uses this analogy of branches and and vines and, and fruit bearing. He's using a living example of continued connectivity. So it's you in Christ and Christ in you. Verse five, whoever abides in me and I in him. So Jesus is talking about this consistent connectivity with him, drawing life and strength from him. I mean, you can know a lot by watching somebody. You can know a lot about someone and reading about them. But this is not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about truly knowing someone. To truly know someone, there needs to be an, an abiding, a dynamic connection, a relationship of, of listening and, and talking. But it's so much more than just that little phrase, a personal relationship with Christ. Perhaps someone has asked you before, do you have a personal relationship with Christ? Maybe someone, you've asked someone else before, do you have a personal relationship with Christ? The problem with that question is that everybody has a personal relationship with Christ. At some point in eternity, at some point in eternity, all of us individually are going to have to stand before Jesus, the judge. And so all of us in this room, we all have a personal relationship with Christ. Every, every human that's ever lived has some personal relationship 
with Christ. Either that relationship is you're standing before Christ one day and he as the judge is going to render a verdict for you of innocent because you have believed in the cross's purchasing power for your own sins and the forgiveness of sin. Or it's going to be you one day individually standing before Christ in a personal relationship and him giving and rendering the verdict of guilty because you have rejected the love and the grace of God through Jesus. So it's not really, the question is not really, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Because all humans do. It should be this. Does Christ live in me? And is his character in me being seen by others? It's not just the relationship question, it's the fruit question. Do people see the character of Christ in me, see these fruits being born in my, my life? Is the character of Jesus being seen by others? Maybe some of, the, some of the inventory questions you can ask yourself would simply be this. Do I know Jesus better today than I did last summer? Do I respond to his purposes, his will, and his spirit more today than I did in January 2021? Am I quick to repent when I sin? Do I see Christ's character in my own life? Much less do other people see the character of Christ in me. So the question really is, does Christ live in me? And is his character in me being seen by others? What's the inverse then? What is it to not abide in Christ? Jesus rather boldly says in verse 4 that you're not going to bear fruit or nor have any joy if you're disconnected from me. So what we try to do, here in the West especially, we try to cover up or disguise are disconnected, fruitless, dying branches. So if your life today, if it's disconnected from, from the vine, the source, Jesus Christ, Jesus is telling us you will begin to wither. What do we do in the States? We just try a new relationship. Or find a new spouse. Or being PG rated, jump bed to bed. Or we buy a bigger house. Or we just aim for, for more friends and the entire time you're just spray painting your dead branches green. Trying to cover over the fact that there is no life of Christ in you whatsoever. Then Jesus speaks now of this judgment or the result of a life that is not lived in Christ. And it's sobering. That life is verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, draw life from me, draw strength from me, is connected to me, then he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. People often say, I don't like the concept of hell. Good, don't go there. It's not, it's not a great concept to consider at all. <laughs> so Jesus, full of grace and full of truth, tells us, this is how kind this king is. He is telling us, if you do not abide in me, you will be cast away and tossed into fire. But the invitation right now is for everybody in this room and anybody in this room to turn to Jesus and find life. Believe on Jesus, bear fruit, and live forever. Second thing, abide in Christ's words. This is how Jesus is getting us to his joy in us. Abide in his words. Abide in Christ's words. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, they are stayed or continued in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
This is a key factor in our spiritual growth. This contributes so much to our growth. The word here that Jesus is, is, is referencing is he's referring, of course, to his own teachings, but also to all the words of the Bible because this is important for us to understand. The Bible is the word of Jesus because Jesus is God. This is God's word to us, his holy scriptures. Abiding in his word then and, and it abiding in us will be us constantly saturating our lives and our minds and our hearts and our eyes our spiritual appetites with his word. A friend of, of John Bunyan once said of Bunyan, the fantastic author of Pilgrim's Progress, wherever you cut Bunyan, he bleeds Bible. That's just a life that is soaked in, in God's word. And look at this return, friends. Look at the promise. It is generous. Look at the middle of verse seven. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Sounds a little bit like a genie, you know? Your wish is my command, but that's not what Jesus is saying here at all. In fact, very close to that, but not similar at all to that. It's not my wish is God's command. It's God's command is my wish. You see the difference? It's a world of difference. When you abide in the words of Christ, you're drawing strength from his word. You're drawing life from his word. You begin to pray for things that line up to his commands. That is his word. So you're not praying, God, give me a million dollars. You're saying, God, would you give me an opportunity today to be generous to somebody else? You're not praying, God, make me comfortable. You're praying, lining up to his word, God, how, how can I comfort somebody else today? You're not saying, God, just give me a lot more friends. You're lining up your life into the word of God. And you're saying, God, would you, by your grace, allow me to be a faithful friend to others? Prayer here is not a blank check. There is a condition. What's the condition? That his word remains in you. What Jesus is saying here is let my word stay in you. Let my word soak in you. And when, you, when that happens, you'll begin to pray for my ways. This is a big invitation from the God of, over all the universe for you to ask him of big things. His word and this glorious promise of return on prayer are connected. You see it? Being in his word and asking big things are, are connected. They're family. They're cousins. You're abiding in his word, you're camping in his word, your, your mind is saturated with his word, and you're compelled now to pray God-honoring prayers. As your life is in God's word, you begin to pray gospel-fanning prayers, uh, spirit-centered prayers, others' first mighty prayers, then you begin to see mighty answers from God because your life is abiding in the richness of the word of God. Thirdly, abide in the Father's glory. Verse 8, by this, my father is, is glorified. It's really just a, a word that means his name is seen more and more. It's not that God becomes bigger. It's that we see him as bigger and bigger. But by this, my father is glorified. He's magnified. He's exalted that you bear much fruit. Not, not, not more fruit, but much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. So in the hearts of all the sons and daughters of God in this room, our, our desire, our growing desire is that God would receive glory. And so as the Father's glory grows more and more as your desire, then you will grow as a fruit bearer. Paul quite famously listed out some of these, these pictures of the characteristics of Christ, this fruit, if you will. It's in Galatians chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. It's on the screen behind me. It might be a good reference to write down if you're unfamiliar with this. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So here the Holy Spirit is telling Paul to write these things down for us, that these are some of the characteristics of Christ. This is the fruit, if you will. Now there's two things I want you to see. First of all is the very last phrase there, uh, against such things there is no law. Why do we have laws today? We have laws to restrict us. And if you think about it, most laws are given so we might pull back our indulgences. So you're driving down Waco Drive and you see the two numbers four zero on a sign. That is a law. What, what, what that is saying, I, I know sometimes I see it as a suggestion or a suggestive miles per hour, but it really is a law. That law is there to restrict us from going too fast, so fast that we might be a harm to ourselves or to others. What that law is doing by telling you to go 40 miles an hour, it is preventing you from the indulgence of going 70 miles an hour down Waco Drive. In the same way, Paul is saying, oh, there's no law against the fruit of the Spirit. Like if you want to indulge in joy and peace, lose your mind in being gentle, Go crazy with faithfulness. Speed all that you want with your gentleness. There is no restrictions at all in these nine things that we see as the characteristics of Christ. Now, some of you might lean naturally towards some of them. Some of you in this room probably are more, more gentle than, than others. There's probably some in your temperament. You have more joy, perhaps, or at least you express joy in a different way than other people express joy. But here, this is not what Christ is talking about. This is not a personality test that, that Paul is talking about inspired by the Holy Spirit. You, 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 can, you can bear all of these things and thus bring God the glory, which makes me go back to the beginning of that verse. I want you to see that as well. It is not the fruits of the Spirit, plural. It's fruit of the Spirit, singular. Which means that we are called by the Spirit as we glorify the Lord to grow in all of these things as we abide in Christ, as we abide in the glory of God. What are some other fruits in the Bible outside of this nine fruit cluster from Galatians chapter 5? Generosity. Radical giving, radical forgiving. Discipling new believers, pointing people to relationship with God through Christ. All those things the New Testament would speak of as being fruit. And as we bear those fruit for the Lord, we glorify God. So maybe the question you can ask yourself is, is my character being changed? The question is not how often do I go to church? The question is not how many nice people and good people do I hang around? The question is, is my character being changed? Changed? Am I growing in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? This is how you know that you're attached to the living vine. Fourth thing, abide in Christ's love. Uh, we see this back in our passage, John 15. In verse 9, as, as the Father has loved me. Now we could, honestly, Highland, we could spend all afternoon considering that phrase, as the Father loves Christ. I mean, as the perfect Father loves his one and only. As a Father who is love, God is love. I mean, just consider the, the, the massive nature, the inexhaustible nature of God's love for his own Son. And look what Jesus says. This is radical here. This, this should make your knees quake just a little bit. Just as the Father, as, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved 
you. Emily said it perfectly. Jesus isn't tired of you. You don't exhaust him. The perfect father loves his son perfectly. In that exact same way, Jesus loves you. Christ loves you. And so that he invites us, abide in my love. Draw life from that love. Draw strength from, from that love. This is resting in who Christ is and what Christ has done. It's resting in his immeasurable love for you. It's resting in the, in the work that he has already completed at the cross on your behalf. I think a lot of us probably in this room, a lot of us here, here again in Waco in the West, we're, we have a hard time resting. Therefore, we have a hard time growing in Christ. We've been raised in a culture that says, if you want to get something valuable in life, you better work really hard for it. You need to work really hard for it. And while that's true in the natural economy, when it comes to a work ethic, it's the exact opposite of the spiritual economy. Where the greatest value of all time, you being loved and known and accepted by God, is not something that you achieve, but something that you receive. You receive his love. You receive his grace. You don't achieve his love. You're not trying to reach for or merit somehow his grace. So Jesus is inviting us here. Just rest in that love. There will never be a disconnection of love between the father and his son. Here's what Jesus is saying to his people. There will never be a disconnection of love for you. Three times he says it here. Abide in my love or abide in his love. Once in verse 9, once in verse 10, once in verse 10. Again, two times in verse 10. Draw strength in, he's saying, and draw life from, from this love. In other words, rest in my love. I don't mean be lazy in his love, but rest in his love because fruit bearing is taxing. I mean, if you're going to bear fruit, there's going to be some taxation too. That'll mean you're putting other people's interest above your own. It means you may lose some sleep or lose some cash or lose some free time. It means that you may have to be okay with being in second place. But ultimately, you might want to consider writing this down. We don't work for God's love. We work from God's love. We're not out there spinning our wheels, thinking, God, if I can just do a few more good things, if I can give a little bit more money, show up at church a few more times, then maybe God will love me more. We're not doing that. We're not working for his love. It has already been given to God's people through the Son, Jesus Christ. We work from a platform of already being loved. I mean, the most fruitful person in all of history is Jesus Christ. More books written about him than anyone else in history. More songs written about him or to him or for him than anybody else in history. More people have followed him or had their lives devoted to him more than anybody else in all of history. And his message is still going on today. 2,000 years after his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, we're still talking about him today. And he just lived 36 months in public ministry. He lived a public 36 months. Why is it that we can say he bore more fruit than anybody else in all of history? I think he gives us the answer. At the very end of verse 10, Jesus abided in the love of God. He didn't work for it. He rested in it. He worked from it. And he did something else, and so can we. This is the fifth and last thing. Abide in obedience to God. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide 
in his love. So this is the fifth way to, to have the joy of Christ in you. Again, not you being happier tomorrow morning. I'm talking about the, the joy of Christ in you. Jesus abided in obedience. He kept, he obeyed his father's commands. And, and, and he is requiring us to obey his father's commands as well. He's requiring us to obey God's word also. Now, it feels like there's a big shift happening right here. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Now do what I say. But listen, verse 9, it's not, just that, it's not that Jesus is a cold taskmaster. Notice how love and obedience are just interwoven all throughout verse 9 and verse 10. Love from Jesus comes first, verse 9, and then comes this call to obey him, verse 10. An unapologetic call to obey follows this deep love of Jesus for you. So here's my last thing today. We don't obey God for him to love us. We obey God because he does love us. If nothing else you've heard today, would you hear this? We obey his commands and his commands are good because he is good. He loves you deeply. So it begins with his love. Then it's a call to follow him. And this is where Christianity stands out from every other world religion. Every other world religion says you need to adhere to these strict doctrines. Christianity says you need to obey my commands and I will give you the strength from a God who loves you deeply and cares for you forever. This week we don't obey God for him to love us more. We obey him because he does love us. And that leads to verse 11. And these things, the things we just covered just then, these things I've spoken to you that my joy, the inexhaustible, matchless, unparalleled joy of Christ, the bubbling joy of Christ might be in you. It might be, maybe in you and that your joy may be filled. How kind is God? He's not asking you to jump through all these hoops. You know what he's saying? Hey, just stay in my love. Just stay in my presence. Stay in me. Stay in my word. Because my commands are for your good. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, what a sweet invitation you give us to draw strength and draw life from you. And God, it's sweet because we have tried to draw strength and life from so many other sources. They cause us to wither and be fruitless. Jesus, if you are the true vine, it's because there's a lot of false vines out there. Thank you for this generous invitation to abide in you, to abide in your love, to abide in your word, to abide in the Father being glorified, to abide in your sweet, good commands for us based on your generous love toward us. God, we could all identify ourselves today as often being faithless people. So the true question today is, God, how much do we love you? The true thing in which we boast is, God, you love us so much. And you're faithful. So our plea, 
maybe even through tears today, is God, abide with us. You have a love that will never let us go. We praise you that you're the ever constant, ever sure God. We revel and rest in your love today.